All right. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Yeah. Now, I am going to take a little bit of time with question one because uh, this is where it shows that the intro, the intro to the fruit of the Spirit is the most important thing of all. Because really, the fruit of the Spirit is not going to be able to be produced in you. It is not going to, as much as we look at those non-beautiful fruit and we think, oh, I want that and, and this is this is what I must do. And if we try to attain these nine fruit in and of ourselves, it, it's called counterfeit. And fruit is always, and what is fruit anyway? When Jesus refers to fruit, it's, it's, it's our behavior. It's our actions. It's what's coming out of us. It's, what's people, it's what people see. And now granted, we can fake it. We can fake it, but you can't fake it to people that know you best. And in fact, you cannot, and will never be able to fake it to the one who sees everything about you. And so, and that's the one we should really be trying to, to please anyway. And we know he can see our heart and we can be the best actor or actresses in the world, but he can see the real. And we should be desiring to be authentic and real. And only the Holy Spirit can do that in us. Because all of us really truly want to be good people. We want to be good Christians. We want to wear that label Christian and we want to wear it and that, it's, that you look at it and you smile at us because we are doing the job. We all want that. Well, believe it or not, it's not going to happen unless we talk the first question first. If you want that fruit, the beautiful characteristics of Jesus, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit are. If you want to look like Jesus and act like Jesus, and you want those nine characteristics of him, if you want that fruit of his Spirit coming out of you, if you truly do, and that is something you have to, have to ask yourself, because it's not going to come easy. I mean, it's going to take work and effort and, and time and all those things that human nature bristles against. But if you really do want to look and act like Jesus and you really do want to walk out into this world and, and be an asset for him and to be used by him in your homes and in your families, and then believe it or not, this first question, and when I had you, what is so obvious? And, and maybe because I am such a, a simple kind of person when it comes to, I just want to know the truth. I just want to know the black and white. So maybe that's why when I looked at this, I think, okay, if you want the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, what must you have in you? The Spirit. And I know that is so basic 101, but sometimes that's where we've got to go back to because I think there are so many church-sitting people who are trying to produce and act like Christians and they're trying to do it without the Spirit. And there's only one way we receive God's Spirit into our life. And I believe that that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1.13. I think Paul put it, so in this order. So I had you look it up, and if you want to turn to it, how did you like, when you did your lesson, how did you like it going all through the Bible? Old Testament, New Testament, I had you going all over the place. But isn't that fun? I just think it's so exciting to watch the, the it all tie in together. And so, I mean, I love the verse by verse, and we'll go to that in the fall. But in this topical study, just to watch the Lord throughout all of Scripture teach you about the fruit. And so um, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul is talking to the people of Ephesus. And, you know, Paul doesn't spare any words. He's very upfront, and he says it this way. Okay, first of all, um, he said, do you want, if you're included in Christ... And you also were included in Christ. You're included in Christ. Now, you, sometimes you just have to stop and say, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be included in Christ? Because it's so easy to just read it fast, but that here's the number one, because it's in order here, the way Paul says that, okay, 
included in Christ. He's assuming then that you want to be a part of his family because to be included in Christ is to be one of his children, to be united with Christ. So basically, what does that mean? It means that you've taken that walk to the cross. This is in here again. It is simple 101, but if we go, if we want to go any farther in our study, if we really want the characteristics of Jesus, then we have to follow. This is the principle. You have to see yourself for what you really are. You know, and you've heard my story many times about that really good-looking man, but I'll tell you, I used his good-looking, the fact that he was such a terrifically outside, perfectly formed kind of man, I used that to be able to say to him, I know when you look in the mirror, you just look like you're all put together, but if you turned yourself inside out, if I turn myself inside out, if any human being turns himself inside out, we all look the same, even though we might all look different on the outside, we all look the same on the inside and that is dark and that is lost and that and there is no hope and I'll tell you that got him thinking and that started the questions rolling because see when you were just so confined to that outward shell and you think that that everything is just fine the way it is and you have to get to the reality and that's why you've often heard me say that the day of your salvation it starts out to be the worst day of your life and the reason that that's true is because you finally have come to the point where you realize you are nothing and that is a hard place for human beings to get to human beings do not like to be told that they're worthless and that they're nothing and that they are lost and they can't do it themselves. That goes against our grain, but that's where it all has to start. And when you, and, he, and the thing is, as much as we would love to say that, that our Christianity is osmosis, I mean, my parents are, my grandparents are, and you know it's not. When it comes to, to this, when it comes to salvation, it is one-on-one. -on -one. It's you and it's Jesus. And you have to see yourself the way you really, truly are. You've got to get to that point, and then you will humbly take that walk to the cross. And I sometimes picture myself, and I think, you know, you just hardly dare even look up. You're so, you get to that cross, and you just know and then all of a sudden, you just see, it's almost like you can sense Jesus come and just pick you up and lavish you with that undeserved favor, that grace. And he, he instills in, within you and me a worth and a purpose. And he turns us around and, and pretty much sends us back into our lives and says, now go live it up, live it up, because, because now you are included in Christ, you are one of mine. You were bought with a big price. And believe it or not, you are not your own anymore. You do belong to me. You're included in Christ. You now belong to him. But along, along with that salvation comes responsibilities. And Paul then goes on to say, I want you to know this. If you desire to be included in Christ, Jesus has made a way possible. It's a tough road to it's a tough road to take, but boy, when you get there and he then just picks you up and turns you around and starts you all over in a new life, in a new purpose, it is so worth it. It becomes the greatest day of your life. And you know that. I know that. But that's what it means to be included in Christ. It is a it is a very important moment. It's a life-changing moment. It's a life destiny change moment. That's what included in Christ means. And so Paul says, okay, if you're included in Christ, this is what I want you to know about yourself. This is what you, to be included in Christ, you have had to heard the gospel story. And the gospel story is not do this and do this and do this. The gospel story, this is where the law and the gospel are two totally different things. The law shows us our sin, but it cannot save us. That's why he said you hear the gospel, the gospel salvation story, and that story is Jesus. 
I hope you don't mind me saying, but at Jason's um, installation, Chad preached, and Chad preached right to Jason, and he called him by name many times, and he ended, he said, Chad, I, he said, Jason, I could give you much advice, he said, I've been in this a long time, and, but he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you the best advice, and that is never, never stop preaching Jesus. Because that is the fundamental. That is your that is your solid foundation. You p- keep preaching the one who made it possible what you could not do for yourself. You b- keep preaching Jesus so that people can be included in Christ. And then he says this, and then you hear that gospel, but like we've said for years now. God didn't make it complicated. He didn't give us 50 choices. He gave us only two. You can do it your way or you can do it my way. That's pretty much what he says. So you hear the gospel and okay, now basically it's okay, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to say yes or am I going to say no? Am I going to stay in my cocky self and think that I can? I don't need that. I can handle my life myself. Because you can't do it halfway. I think there's a lot of people who are thinking that they can do it both ways. I can, I can, I can become a Christian and yet I can still run my own life. If they only knew that that's not possible. This is an all or nothing thing. Because Paul says it right here. You're included in Christ when you hear the gospel and then what? You hear it and then what do you, what's your choice? Belief. The word is believe. I believe it. And when you choose to believe it, when you choose to say yes to it, then what does he say? You then are sealed. You are sealed. I'm talking, that is such a beautiful picture, isn't it? You are stamped. You are sealed. You're sealed with his spirit. So here, here's the whole point of this. If you want the fruit of the spirit, then you have to have the spirit in you. And the only way you can have the spirit in you is if you've taken that walk to Calvary and you realize that in and of yourself you're nothing and he, you want to be included in Christ because you've heard the gospel and you've chosen to believe. He then says, wonderful, I'm sealing you with my own self. I'm going to seal you with my spirit in this song that we sang this morning, it just says it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for coming up with this great plan, loving us so much that you want to buy us back. Thank you, Jesus, for being the willing one to come and be human, to shed blood so that our, our sins can be forgiven, so he can look on us as perfect and blameless. And thank you for, for the spirit who's been left behind so that we can do what we can't do for ourselves. Anybody who tries to be Christian without God's spirit, it is fruitless. And fruit is very important. Fruit is very important to Jesus. And he, he uses that so many times. And we are marked, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have God's spirit. So if you ever want to say, well, I couldn't help it. I fell into sin. I couldn't help it. That, that's just not true. Because on the day of your salvation, he sealed you with his spirit. You failed because you did not go to the power source that lives with inside you. You tried to do it in your own way and in your own strength, and that's impossible. He knew it, and we better know it. We have God's spirit in us. And the beautiful thing about the whole thing is that there's such an extraordinary day and night difference in her character. When we find that it is no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And that's where Paul in Galatians 5, so now you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. And this is where, to the people of Galatia, he tried, to, he was starting to explain and he did such a bang-up job. And, he, you know, the, the people of Galatia, they were running in, they were running amok a little bit because they were trying to add to the gospel. They were trying to say that, oh, yeah, we need Jesus, but we also need, you know, the law, and we need to be circumcised. We need, you know, and Paul is saying, what happened? Jesus is enough. It's not that the law isn't important and you have to obey the law, the Ten Commandments, but it just shows you what you need to do. It can't save you. Only the gospel, Jesus, 
the story of Jesus can save you. And then he says, and there is such a difference when you let the spirit take over you and you start seeing altogether different behavior. And so he says in verse 16, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. Paul is not at all embarrassed to say we do have two natures. We have an old nature and we have a new nature. And as much as when we, when we, come new, when we become new creatures in Christ, as much as we would love to just never see that old nature again, as long as we live in this world, and as long as we are in these bodies, we are going to always want to gratify the old nature. That's just the automatic pull. And so Paul is saying that. He says, you know, you have to live by the Spirit or you're going to, because it takes no work at all to go your own sinful way. That is no effort. It takes a decisive choice to say, I desire to be like Jesus. I desire to utilize the spirit that he sealed me with. I don't want that old behavior. And I think every one of us knows where we're weak. We know the weakness we have. We know where the tendency is to fall. I mean, it can be as simple as a negative spirit or a critical spirit. Or we all have something that we just seem to automatically go to without, like I said, without any effort. And so Paul admits it. He said, you better know that you are always going to be at war. And that's why in Ephesians 6, he writes about that it is a battle that we've got to put on that full armor of God. And, and, and I know we're fighting the enemy himself, but you know what the enemy uses most of all? Self. He uses our own sinful, natural ways. That's how he can maneuver us around and why we're such suckers to him because it appeases our flesh. And so Paul is just making it very explicit. If you aren't living with the Holy Spirit working, I mean, he's in there. There's some of us that have been to the cross of Christ and, and you know, we have accepted Jesus as our Savior. And, and when you don't understand God's Holy Spirit and you, so you're still trying to live, in this, live this whole Christianity in your own strength and power, no wonder you get defeated. And, but when you do understand that you have a spirit, but you've got, to, you've got the Holy Spirit, but you've got to choose to let him work. That means you've got to die to self. Remember what we learned in Matthew and Mark? We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. You know, that phrase where God helps those who help themselves, that's just such a bunch of baloney. He helps those who deny themselves. And so he's, he's showing us in this here. Don't deny that you don't deny that you um, don't have a, a sinful nature because you do. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. Now he makes this very clear. Look, he puts it and he, he says it a number of times. You can't you can't say that I'm going to do do a both. I'm going to play both sides of the fence because you can't. I mean, you can't even go down the middle halfway. You are either living to the self or you're living by by His Spirit, and they are totally going in totally different directions. And look, He makes it very clear: for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. I mean, how many times does he have to say that? It doesn't work. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You see, I do believe that we are good people and we want to do what's right. And in that verse, the way Paul, the way Paul said it, reminded me of another verse that he wrote into the people of Rome in Rome chapter 7 and, and you know that verse don't you you know because we've studied that where Paul says um oh man it makes me you can tell he's just frustrated with himself like don't do what I should do what I should do I don't do I mean Paul knows this is a dilemma this is something we fight all the time because I think down deep we want to be good people but that flesh I mean we just want our own way and so he writes that. And one time I was in Denver, and, 
and I was in a prison in Denver, and I and and these kind. I mean. You, it's amazing to me how prisoners, they are such, they're such cons. They are so good at it. And they tried to pull a fast one on me. And so when I was done with the concert, they come up to me and they say, oh, you know, we just believe so what you say and all oh, we want to do right. And, and you know, but even, even, in, even in the Bible says that, yeah, we, we don't do what we should do. I mean, they quoted me they, or they quoted scripture thinking that I would say, yep, I know it can't help it. And I looked right at him. I said, listen, did you finish the chapter? You could pull those couple verses out there and say, yep, you know, I can't help it. I'm really a good person, but, you know, I just couldn't help it. You know, I just needed to rob that bank or, you know, I just needed to kill that person. I mean, that's basically what it's saying that, you know, I really want to be good, but I couldn't help it. This just was right there. And, but as ridiculous as that sounds, we, you know, we do the same thing. Oh, I want to be such a good Christian, but I just can't help it. You know, this body, this body of mine just goes in that direction. You know, the Bible says, even Paul said he had a battle with it. Yeah, yeah, he meant you battled with that. But the solution, I said to those prisoners, and I'm saying it to you, the end of Romans 7 is this. Who can rescue me from this? Thanks be to God, there's the Lord Jesus. In other words, there's no excuse. There is no excuse. You cannot say, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. No, you've been given, you've been sealed with a power inside of you that can absolutely do what you can't do. And yes, you are pulled. But they're kind of, if, you, if you ask the Spirit and he is ready to help you, but you know what? He's a gentleman and he is not, not going to do what he's not asked to do. You've got to know. You've got a desire to say, I want to be a good person. And you know what? I want to live for Christ and I want to live his character. I want the fruit of his Spirit come out of me. Holy Spirit, you got to do it. You've got to acknowledge that you can't. Because there's two natures at war within you, and you've got to know where your help lies. I remember, you know, I've said this to you before, when my brother graduated from, from treatment center, you know, when he, he's a recovering alcoholic, and all these people were saying such good things. You can do it, Ross. You can do it. You can do it, you know. And yeah, yeah, rah, rah. And I finally just, you know, at the end, I just said to him, Ross, you're not going to make it. Not unless you look to the hills. I will lift up my eyes to the hills because that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. We have, a, we have a, a, a sinful nature that you're just sucked into and unless you you cling, that's why I prayed what I did this morning, unless you cling to the Spirit and know that He's the one that can help you. You're going to fall back to those old ways as sure as I'm standing here, as sure as Paul wrote that in Galatians 5. And then he puts it this way. He says, okay, look, the acts of the sinful nature. Did you notice the acts of the sinful nature are, at least in the NIV, it's NIV it says the word what? They're obvious. In other words, it's noticeable. I went to King James, and I, I always have a King James because I love to just compare. And in the King James, it said evident. Same thing. The sinful nature, it's obvious. It is evident. And then he starts listing. And I know when you look at some of these things, you think, oh, that, those are really for bad people. I'm certainly not this. Because some of those things look pretty nasty. And I know that, you know, we've all been raised, you know, really quite conservative and we're good people and all that kind of stuff. And so we can't relate to some of these things, but I'm saying, oh, yes, we can. And so uh, with, with my interview and with my King James right next to it, it says, okay, um, the, what's obvious? Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And now I, I you know, what? with the King James used the word fornication, what he's basically saying, and you know as well as I do, as you watch TV programs, as you watch um, promiscuity behavior, I mean, wrong is looking right. And I think of my grandpa and grandma, they, I'm sure they're just flipping in their grave when they see sometimes some of the things that we have just excused and said, well, it's 2019, what do you expect? 
the sinful nature, anything, basically what those words mean, it says, it's sex problems. I might as well say it. Nothing wrong with the word itself because it was, it was meant to be something quite beautiful. And we all know that. But your sinful nature wants to take what God made beautiful and just take it for a ride. And he is saying the sinful nature has just absolutely destroyed relationships and purity and all those things. And then he goes on to say idolatry. And right away we think, well, I don't have a little figure in my house that I worship. No, come on. You know, by this time, idolatry isn't just a little figure that you worship. It is anything, any person in your life, any earthly person, any earthly thing in your life that you have said, I can't live without. If you have said, I can't live without, I can't live without him. I can't live without that house. I can't live without that job. I can't live without. You have made that an idol. And so, again, we fit in there. Our sinful nature, we gravitate to this world and to this earth, and we think we can't live without the things and the people in it. And when we do lose them, because we do lose some people and some things in our life, we just go into this, this realm of hopelessness. That's what the sinful nature wants to settle you down and say, well, you know, that's it. Witchcraft. King James called it sorcery. <laughs> That's a whole nother can of worms, isn't it? I mean, I could get on that too, and so could you. And, and our children and grandchildren, they've all been sucked up into this, um, oh man, everything is fun and games with Harry Potter and all those kinds of things. And I'm telling you, it's about as black and white as here. Our sinful nature, and what is sorcery? What is witchcraft? It's the use of power gained from assistance or control from demons or the devil himself. That's from Webster, by the way. That's from the Webster Dictionary. And you think that, but see, wrong looks right. Oh, at least my kids are reading. It says right there. Hatred. Oh, Hatred. Come on, you know, and even though you wouldn't just come right up to somebody and say, well, I hate you. I mean, you know, hatred is a terrible thing, but boy, we harbor it. Hatred, bitterness, unforgiving spirit, all that is in that. And then discord. Look at, we see discord, we see division, we see, you know, everything's just being pulled apart. And I'll tell you, you know, the Jesus said that a house divided, but will not stand. That's right. Jealousy. See, now we're starting. Uh, let's read these fast. You know, these these are some of the things that now. Oh man, that rubs me. Uh, that may be something I have trouble with. You know, every every one of these fits of rage. Oh man, you get mad sometimes. Selfish ambition. I hope you stop there for a while. Think that that is part of your old nature when it's all about you. Because I'll tell you, once you've been to the cross of Christ, it is not about you anymore. It's about him. Dissensions. Again, just, and factions. I looked that up because I didn't quite know what factions was. And, and really, it's pretty much, it's just... People that just want to cause trouble. They're contentious. They're self-seeking. They, 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 just, they just are troublemakers. And they thrive in it. And then, the you know, in the envy, drunkenness, orgies. And see, then we, I had a laugh, orgies. And I think, oh. But I looked, King James used revelry. And I, lo- I looked up what revel- revelry is. And basically, you know, it's when a group gets together and it's probably because they had too much to drink and they get loud and they're obnoxious. And just these, I mean, we're, we see it so much. 
And he said, I want you to know that when that kind of character is coming out of you, you are not being, you've been sealed with the Spirit and you're acting like this. And as I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of, kingdom of God. You cannot expect to be a witness and an asset for God's kingdom when you're acting like this. And in fact, you might not even really know him. In fact, you're not maybe going to even get there. You're just playing games with that word Christian. This, this is your behavior, you know, not that we don't make mistakes and that we, have, you know, that we don't fall into a little jealousy now and then, but boy, that spirit is right there to prick you and remind you that this is not the way you're supposed to go. But if you continue, I remember I might have told you that I was in a Bible study one time and we were talking about, you know, gossip and all, you know, I said, hey, you know, we level sin so easy and we think, oh, gossip, and that's not, I said, he puts that right in there. You cannot continue to do these kinds of things that is contrary to God's spirit. And one girl piped up and she says, I like to gossip and you're not going to tell me I can't. I mean, I couldn't believe what I heard. That there are really people that say, nope, I like, to, I like doing that. I mean, and he's saying, you know what, if you really enjoy that and you are not going to do what it takes to change that and you're not convicted by it, you don't feel guilty by it, and you just love doing it because you love your sinful nature, well, let's just read this again. You're not going to get into that kingdom. It's serious. Salvation is a beautiful free gift, but it comes with responsibilities. He expects us to change. He expects the Holy Spirit not to be doing his work in us. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And oh, and to tell me you wouldn't rather have that. Look at, wouldn't you just love this coming out of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you say, well, I got that. <laughs> Let me tell you, unless it's produced by God's spirit, you're just living out of cheap counterfeit. And this world will say every time that, oh, I know what love is. But if you ever checked, if, you, if, you, if you've ever loved, I mean, you know, my husband was here last night, and it was really, really neat to look back there and see him, and he just looked so cute. And, oh, man, <laughs> I loved it. I don't even know where I was going with that. Just, I'm my, I know. <laughs> but it, it was. It was. It was so nice to to see him. Be, he was sitting there, and and you know, and he was listening, and he he knows me so well, and and he has watched the change, and you know, I just think that. We need that every now and then to just have people that are closest to us. Can they see that we're now no longer desiring to live like that? Because they, you know, he knew me, what, 50 years ago. And so he's watching in the course of time. Is he watching Jesus take over? Is he watching the difference in, in behavior? I could look at Tom and I could say to him, Oh, I just, I love you. And then, but in my mind, I'm saying, so you better. <laughs> See, this is what the world, this is what's so easy. This is what comes natural. I love you, but I expect, and you better do, you know? And you got that little finger out, you know? I love you, but, and that's the kind of love the world has. It's got strings on it. It's got conditions to it. And the Spirit wants to produce a kind of love. Because you know what? The same person that you can love so much, you know what? They can hurt you so badly. And you have to decide, and this is where you're going to watch the fruit of the Spirit. When he says, when he uses these nine things to describe they are not always, because we are such a feeling people. I mean, we feel. We want everything to feel good. And I want to feel this. And if I don't feel this, something is missing. No, let me tell you, when someone that you love hurts you so badly, oh, man, you don't really feel too good. Now, what am I going to do? Because right now, you know, you can say, oh, I love you, but I don't like you. I, I don't know. You have to decide right then and there, am I going to not 
base it on the feelings right now. I'm going to activate God's spirit to help me love you the way that I can't love you on my own. Because right now, I'd just as soon have you leave. And yet I know that's not the right thing. So Holy Spirit, help me to love because they've broken all the conditions. They've, they, they have cut all the strings. Now, I don't have any, I don't have any love there. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, yeah, I'm going to teach you. Aren't you glad that Jesus, when he loved you, and the one verse that I just go back to all the time is, while I was still a sinner, he, what? he loved me and died for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that kind of love can be pr- produced in us, even though it might not feel good because Jesus did it. He, in his spirit, because he now lives inside of me, he now is going to teach me how to do it. And I think this way, if you don't understand the power of God's spirit to be able to do what you can do for yourself, that's why so many throw in the towel and give up because they're not willing to let the Holy Spirit produce in them because down deep, you would rather have them You would rather have them hurt the way they hurt you. You would rather get back at them because they deserve after all. And the Holy Spirit wants to say, would you just hold off? Because you know what? I can produce in you and it can be better than ever. When you love with no strings attached, you love with no conditions, you love the way I loved you. What is the greatest love verse there is? For God so loved you and me that he gave his son. Did we deserve it? Did we do anything to to earn it? No, he just plain loved us anyway, despite who we were. And that same kind of love can be working in us. And, and then you'll watch that Paul just put it right in perfect order. When you can learn, because I think love is the fundamental start of this whole process. You've got to understand his love. And then he wants to develop that love in you. And when you get an understanding of that love, it, then it just moves into a joy. And that joy just then moves into a peace. You can't slip shot these nine. They are in perfect order. You can't put patience first. No way you can put patience first. You've got to know what love is. You've then got to know what joy is. You've got to know what peace is. You've got to, then you'll get, start to understand what patience is. And no wonder self-control is last. And we will see that at the end of this study, in a couple months, you will see how, what a perfect order this is. But love is the basis. It's the hardest. It is so hard to love unconditionally. It is so hard. And that's why I asked you the question, how do you love an unlovable person? How do you love a person that you love, but it's just hurt you so bad? How do you do that? And the only answer is by going to the spirit who he sealed you with to be able to do in you what you can't do for yourself. And how then do you, because you remember he did it for me. How many times don't you have to go back to the cross? I mean, I know we go there the first time for our, our ultimate salvation, but I mean, I am visiting that place over and over Why do you think churches, and even here, they put up a cross. Why do you think so many of us wear necklaces or whatever? You know, you see crosses. It's it's, We're supposed to go back there. It's that cross that reminds us of what we were and who we are now because of that place. That's how you are able to love an unlovable person. And don't expect it to be a feeling. It is a sheer act of obedience sometime. But when you do it right, I'll tell you, the feelings come. We've moved into that first one. Like I said, I do believe it is so important. And you know who understood it? And I want you to turn 1 John chapter 4. 
the, the disciple, the apostle John, he got it. He was the one that called himself the one that Jesus loved. And it wasn't that John thought that he was extra special. Remember, we talked about Peter, James, and John. They weren't Jesus' favorites. They just needed to experience certain things so that they could be able to do the ministry God called them to do. But John understood Jesus' love. He got it. And so in 1 John chapter 4, he says in, in verse 10, he said, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You want a definition of love? It has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with knowing who, who your God is. You know, when I look at the fruit of the spirit, I'm, I kind of look at these nine now, and I always kind of thought that they were based on feelings, but now instead, no, they're based on a person. Jesus is love, Jesus is joy, Jesus is peace. He is all of them. And that's why his spirit wants to keep producing that in you. And that's why it's so contrary to the world's definition of that same word. He said, this is what love is. Not that you love God. No, that he loved you and gave his son an atoning, to be a atoning sacrifice for your sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is really quite wordy, and I, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. He, he just keeps saying that word over and over. And he associates it with, with God. You love God, you're going to love others because he's living in you. Then if he's, he's love, then automatically you're going to love. I mean, it's, you, you read that over and over, you can see. You've been to the cross of Christ. You've been sealed with his spirit. Now you are going to know you have God living inside of you, and he's going to help you do what you can't do, and that is love, really love. And you're going to watch a whole change in how you deal with people. I'm finding, as I'm growing, oh, I mean, I got a long way to go. But I'm finding that instead, instead of getting so, I mean, some people are just, I don't know what to say. I can't say the word stupid, can I? Because my, my kids don't want me to say stupid. <laughs> I don't really want to say idiot. I don't want to say that either. But you know what? Sometimes it's just, like, man. And I get so, I think you just want to get so mad. Don't you see what you're acting? Can you see what you just said? Can you, I mean, you know, it's just idiotic. That just makes no sense. I mean, you know, all these things are brewing in my mind and I can just feel myself tense and I'm getting mad. And, and I'm watching myself change, but I, instead of getting so angry, I'm finding, man, do I feel sorry for you. You are missing by your attitude, by your actions, by the way you're handling the situation, man. So instead of getting angry at it, I'm starting to feel sorry for them because they are missing the way it could be. And it's called abundant living. And, and, and because self is on the throne instead of the spirit, this is the character that's coming out of you. Oh, and he says... God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I see what I mean? I mean, you just keep saying the same thing. In this love, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. You know what he's saying here, basically? He's saying we need love as our foundation. Because love drives out all that yuck. And so he ends that chapter by saying, whoever loves God, who say, if, they, if you say you love God, then you must love your brother. And you know what? Your brother is probably going to be one that drives you crazy sometime. He's probably, you know, I mean, he might be unlovable sometime. It doesn't say that. You are just told because God loves you, you are to love. I have yet to see anybody one to Christ, and isn't that our objective, through condemnation. But I have seen many come to know Jesus through unconditional love. And why? Because that's the way we were. Because of his unconditional love for us. See, 
It just is so simple. That's the way he wants us to maneuver out into the world to have that same kind of love. Because it's that kind of love that draws people in instead of pushes people out. It's a fundamental start. All right, then um, I asked you to go into joy, you know, because once you get that foundation of love, oh, that feels good. And, and there's something about it moves you into the understanding of joy. And so now go to John's um, words too, but in his gospel. And so John 15, he gives us this beautiful picture. He kind of gives us this, you know, he, he uses our imagination, so, and it makes perfect sense. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. So, okay, we've got the gardener, and now we've got this, this vine. And he said, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Do you think fruit's important to him? I mean, right away he says, if you're not, if you're not useful for me, if I can't use you, if you are doing nothing for me, if you're not bearing any fruit, and because remember, this whole study originated from Matthew 3, when, when John the Baptist looked at those religious phonies and said, you know what? Fruit comes with repentance. The two go hand in hand. If you've experienced rep- confession or repentance and salvation, then you will produce fruit. And that is, that's kind of like the, the proof in the pudding. You, you are... When you are real in your salvation, when you love Jesus, not just in words and in, and in pretend actions when it makes you look good, but you are in love with your Savior and you give him first priority in, li- in your life, when you're putting forth the work and the effort to grow and mature in him, he says you are going to produce fruit. And if you're phony you're not going to see any fruit. There's not going to be any fruit. You're not going to be able to love without strings and conditions. You're going to be so thinking that joy is a feeling and it's called happiness. The first thing you and I have to do is realize that joy and happiness are so not the same. Happiness depends on on me. Joy depends on Jesus. You know, and there's nothing wrong with being happy, but what happiness really is is basically everything's going my way. Everything's going the way I want. Oh, and there, there is a great feeling about that when you are happy and everything is fine and everybody's well and you're on vacation. And I mean, everybody loves that. And there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not the same as the joy that he's talking about here. And he's going to explain to you. He says, you are... He says, not only will I will cut off those that are not producing fruit, but those who are producing fruit, he will prune. That's why I asked you the question about, uh, you know, looking at Romans 5 and James chapter 1. You know, when, when Paul says, rejoice when trials and troubles come your way. You know, we got to remember that the root word of rejoice is joy. It's not happy. So that's how we can understand. It says, when rejoice when troubles come your way, when trials come your way. Because otherwise, that doesn't make any sense. Your old nature is saying, no, I want to be happy. I want everything going my way. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to hurt. And Paul is saying, rejoice when they do. Because you know what? Your suffering will do. It will cause you to cling and grab hold and hang on tight to him. You will develop a perseverance. You'll develop a hope. You will develop a character that you won't get otherwise. And James reiterates, he says, consider pure joy, my brother. Paul says, rejoice when trials come. He says, consider pure joy. Both men who've been around the block, who've known pain and suffering, and they say, it's good for you. Because it grows you up. It gets you to realize you can't do it without him. And so that's why he prunes. That's why we suffer. That's why we have trials. That's why things go wrong. That's why what we wish 
We don't always get our way, and what we wish didn't happen, and my life's full of disappointments. I had this agenda all planned for my life, and oh my goodness. I mean, I just, I still think of some of the people that, you know, like a Johnny Erickson, you know, in the height of her Olympic trials or whatever. She, she, you know, she is, she's got a goal she's going to attain and she has high expectations and her body was working toward that and it was looking good. And all of a sudden she, she gets paralyzed, you know, come on, that just makes sense, Lord. He's, oh yes, it does. Nobody would listen to her as a swimmer, but I put her in a wheelchair and she realizes who I am. I keep pruning her and she keeps blossoming. She is going to be used for me in a mighty way. We need these sufferings because he prunes us and then we grow stronger and bigger and and it's more obvious and it's more evident and it changes us more. Remain in me. There is the line you and I cannot forget. We just have to keep remembering. Remain. Here's how we have joy. And we, this remain in me. I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I mean, the way he uses his visual, as much as we love when we get, when we get, you know, let's say a rose and it was cut off from the branch, but oh, it's beautiful. But how long does that last? And it, it will die. And, and, you know, we just know that it's such a good, it's such a good way that he put it. So, because we can picture that you cut anything off from the vine and it isn't long before it's dried up. And he's saying, you try to do this without me, remain in me is your key. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's kind of the juice from the vine into you that will keep you living and growing. I know it's very nice to consider the Holy Spirit like sap, but it kind of is. It's that growing, it's that, it's that thick ingredient that goes from the vine right into us, and it just then poof comes out of us. The key remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will. He will. That's why it's so heavy. If you're not bearing fruit, something's wrong because he said it right there that if you do have the Holy Spirit working through you, you will bear fruit. You will be able to love without conditions. You will be able to have joy and not even have to be happy. Jesus goes on and explains it farther. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. See how the order? Look how much he brings. Before he brings the word joy in, well, look how many times he uses the word love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy then may be complete. So there you go. You want to know what joy is? It's not a feeling of happiness. No, joy is your relationship with him. He is joy. Because no matter what's happening to you, no matter what disappointment you're having to face, there's nothing of this world that can be taken from you that he isn't enough. Do you realize that there isn't anything in this world that... um, that can substitute for him? There is nothing. And believe it or not, Jesus said that no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. I mean, that, that, is, that should be our joy. So even when life seems to be falling apart, when our world seems to be not happening the way it should be, we should still have joy because he is enough and he is our joy. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and then your joy will be complete. And he doesn't mention anything um, except for this situation or when this happens to you. No, it's cut and dry. You have Jesus, you will always have joy, even in your most unhappiest times because no one or nothing can take that away from you. We live in confidence that what we have in Jesus, no one can take away. I tell you, that's a, that is a great way to live. 
Because I think about, and if I if I check if I would have all my days of my life on on the list, you know that there would be more unhappy days than happy. Because there are very few days that really went my way that I can say it was total total euphoric. It was total happiness all the way because everything went my way. Everything was in order. Every every child behaved properly. I mean, everything worked out the way. No, if I really had to check it off, no, I have more unhappy days than happy days. So then what's the deal? Well, my joy is made complete in him, not in my circumstances. And what a different way to look at it, to know that you can be feeling like you're sinking and you can feel like, oh, it's starting to become hopeless. Oh, and you can still rise up and say, but my joy is complete in Jesus. And I believe we've watched people. Let me just tell you this quick. I was singing in a nursing home where my grandpa and grandma lived for years. And even after they passed away, I still went because I, I loved this one guy there. His name was John. Because you, mostly when I sang at, the, at this nursing home, oh, all they did was sleep. I just lulled them to sleep. And now the only, only reaction I'd get is this snore or a snort or something. But this one, this one man, John, he was always attentive. He sang every hymn with me. He just loved it. Oh, just loved that guy. Well, one time time I went, I sang, was Case in the crowd looking for my John, and he wasn't there. So afterwards, I said, where's John? I was kind of afraid. He said, well, he's still alive, but he had a stroke. He's bedridden. I said, well, where's his room? They told me his room. I went in there, and there is this big Dutch strong strapping man, just, you know, half his body not working anymore. But when I walked in, he looked with one eye, and I could tell he recognized me. I saw with one half of his mouth a little smile, and I knew he knew who I was. So I said, John, I missed you. I said, I'm sorry about your stroke, but the concert was in the dining room, but it's also in here. I said, what's your favorite song? And I leaned over because I didn't want to make a big deal of this. I mean, I just wanted to sing in his ear, his favorite song being that he missed. And I know how much he loves some of these. So I was expecting What a Friend in the Garden, you know, all these kinds of songs. And what he said was, I managed to get get out. He said, "I I want the king is coming. (laughs) <laughs> and how do you sing the king is coming um, and do it quiet over his, over his ear, you know? So I thought, you know what? I'm standing up. I'm taking, I'm filling my lungs, and I'm going to sing this to the best of my ability. And I stood up, and I started, oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming, oh, the king is coming, praise God, he's coming for me. And then I looked down. I looked down, and that's where I could hear the Lord. And I believe he walked with me and talked with me, just like we sang. I believe he whispered in my ear, well, now I want you to see what joy looks like. Because I'm looking at a man who absolutely, and isn't this true, when you and I, when you and I, if we would say, how would you like to pass away? How would you like to end this life and go into the next? Well, I would like to go to bed, bed healthy, wouldn't you, and wake up in glory. You know, just to have that just peacefully happen. Well, you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work that way. And John, what happened to John is the absolute worst scenario. Here's a big, strong, strapping man who is absolutely now having everybody do every bodily need for him. How embarrassing. How humiliating. If, he is life, if his life was based on happiness right now, this man is the most unhappiest guy in the world. But Jesus said, look at him. He's going to show you what joy looks like. This is why there's such a difference between the two because I looked at him and he was he was practically there. I mean he on his face the king he knew is king. And when you know him and when he lives inside of you and you choose to let that spirit work, he gets you beyond yourself and I saw in John what joy looks like even when you're not happy. And Jesus said right there, it's possible. And if you choose to not have joy, guess whose fault it is? <laughs> it's, it's not his. Because he said, I sealed you. I sealed you with the one that can produce it in you. You don't want joy, do you? If you don't want joy, then guess what? It's not going to happen. But if you do want it, even in the middle of your unhappiness, it's there. And then finally, peace. 
Remember how many times I used to say to you, you know, Isaiah 43, that's where you need a bookmark? If you have a little ribbon in your Bible, if you need a bookmark or something, if ever you need a place in Scripture, because sometimes when life hits us hard and you know you have to go to the Bible, you know that there's a word for you, but you don't know where to go in those 66 books. Where do I go? I'll tell you, let your Bible open to your bookmark, and it should be in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, it doesn't even use the word peace. There is, there, the word peace is not in here at all, and yet it is loaded with peace. And if you, if you, and I don't believe in change in scripture, but I do believe that the Bible is written for you and for me, that we can put our names in the proper places so that we can hear it speak to us. Let, let me just read it the way I, I see it. But now, this is what the Lord says. He created you, Linnell. He formed you, Linnell. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, Linnell. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Linnell. I don't care what you're going through. You read those first three verses, and that doesn't set you understanding how much he loves you because he formed you, he created you, he redeemed you. He summoned you by name. If you belong to him, if that's not joy, I don't know what is. And then as you read it all, it puts together, that just leads you to peace. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, I guess I'm just fine. It reminds you who you are because of who he is. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, that's right. That, I got all worked up. But I'm at peace now because he is in his place in my life where he's supposed to be, at the head, at the realm. Look at how we saw in Matthew. We saw, and I had you go to John again, John 16, John 14. Look, look what Jesus talked about peace. He said, peace I leave with you. Peace I, I give you. Not the kind of peace the world gives. Doesn't that clue you that there's a different kind of peace? I'm not talking about the peace the world gives. I'm talking about the peace that only I can give, and I'm leaving it with you. You rest assured. I formed you, I created you, I redeemed you. You're mine. When you go through the waters, the rivers, the fire, I'm there. Man. And then when he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I mean, I love the way he just levels. He just doesn't say, oh, it's everything's going to be hunky-dory. He says, no, waters, rivers, fire. In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. In other words, relax. I have got this because you are mine. And I have overcome the world. That means that anything that you're going through, I have overcome. And maybe you're not going to see it all in this world, but you will see it in the next. Live in that hope. Look at Paul said in 2 Timothy. I mean, here's a man who suffered so much, and look what Paul said. I'm not even, I'm not even ashamed to tell you that I suffer. How many of us think, oh, we're supposed to have such perfect little lives and we're supposed to all be behind closed doors and no one's supposed to know what's going on behind there and, oh, if they only knew that I made this mistake or my family, on and on, oh, but we got to have this little perfect world. Paul says, let me just lay it all out there for you. I am not even ashamed that I've suffered and that I battle with my old nature and that... But then he, oh, didn't you just love it when you looked up that verse? But he said, Timothy, never forget what gets you through all that is that I know. The reason I am not ashamed to suffer and go through this because I know, I know who I believe in. I know who I believe in. And I am convinced that he is able. And we, sung, we sing that song, but I know who I believe in to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 
What's going to get you through? It's when the Holy Spirit produces. What do you know about him? And when he, when he, when you learn when and you know, he says that can convince you. And that whole thing about worry. I mean, we talked about worry, the difference between worry and concern, just a little brush up. Worry, what does worry? Jesus says, don't worry. Paul says, don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Because you know what worry does? It does nothing. It just adds no to your life. It adds not a single day to your life, Jesus says. Worry leaves you immobile. You are helpless. You feel hopeless. That's what worry does for you. But you're saying, yeah, no, you don't know the situation I'm in. You can't help but worry. No, you can be concerned. Know the difference between worry and concern. Concern will drive you to this book. Concern will drive you to Isaiah 43, and you will hear the Lord say, I know, I got it. I'm there with you. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Yeah, you do have to do something. Worry will leave you doing nothing. Concern will make you do something, and that is go to him. Your situations, we all have them. How are you going to handle them? You're going to worry about it and just get yourself in such a tizzy and a fret and all this, or are you going to go to the one and you, you stand on his word and you stand on his promises? What did Jesus say? Don't worry about your life. That means he said, you have no excuse to worry about anything. I think it's a powerful lesson. I think the fruit of the Spirit is essential that we learn and study this. Father in heaven, I would thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for giving us these lessons that we can know that we can't do it on our own, but we can do all things through Christ that who lives in us through, through his own Spirit. He lives within us. We can, we can do all things. This is the word of God. Every word is true, and it is all we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. Have a good month. Oh, I-